Welcome to Stigma Shakers podcast. I am your host, Ali Hensley, author, speaker, and stigma shaker of the best kind. This podcast is all about shaking and breaking up taboo into digestible chunks, which we like to call our social smoothie. In this podcast, I will ask the difficult questions that can be hard to digest because everyone deserves a little balance in their mental health diet. And let's face it, folks, the only thing normal in this world is different. So my question to you, can we make truth the next biggest trend? Elame Fullerlove, founder of Vava Womb and Mind Over MRKH, is a community and events founder, advocate, speaker, podcast host, workshop facilitator, poet, and all-round creative. LMA curated the stigma-shaking community brand Vava Womb, which provides educational, scroll-stopping content on gender equality, intersexual feminism, pleasure, infertility, health, and well-being. She co-founded the Vagina Festival event using performing arts, storytelling, workshops and poetry as a catalyst for change. She designs and delivers workshops to untangle shame, to self-explore and to tap into your sexual mental health as well as for mindfulness using art therapy as a method of true reflection. Oh my gosh, today I am joined by LMA Fuller Love and I am so thrilled that finally, not finally, we're on a podcast, but we're actually having our first catch up in in like forever. So I'm just so grateful. You are a stigma shaker. So to be on the Stigma Shakers podcast is like a double whammy of wow. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I know. It's so nice to see your pretty face. It's so nice to see your pretty face. See, we're already doing the self-love. It might just be us gushing over each other, no pun. I've I've had so many puns in this podcast. As the lovely bio that you've already heard about LMA suggests that she is super, super, super fierce when it comes to advocacy for sexual health, sexual mental health, body positivity, of course, MRKH, which we'll dive into in a little bit. But LMA... I am just so constantly astounded by your level of stamina, energy, passion for what you do. So tell us a bit about your advocacy work. What are you an advocate for? Oh, I think about stamina sometimes and I think I just need to sleep better and then I would feel like I have it. (laughs) Um, I think you asked me in the past, do I actually sleep? (laughs) I know, I Um, I believe you have 29 hours in the day and we've all got it wrong. I'm sure of it. <laughs> oh no, that's so kind, and thanks um, again for having me. It feels weird being on like this side of things. So I guess part of my advocacy work is actually running a little podcast for people with MRKH as well. So sometimes I forget that being on this side is so much more nerve wracking. Well, I know that it's nerve wracking the other side, but I get to sit back and listen to answers, and now I've got to say the answers, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> it's hard both sides. It's hard both sides. So it's nice. incredible both sides, but yeah, it is it's, hard both sides. Yeah, yeah it's a bit nerve wracking, <laughs> especially when it's you. <laughs> um, so advocacy. Oh my god, it's such a big word. Um, back when I was like twenty. 223 I'll obviously go in well not too much into MRKH stuff but um I was like secretive with my MRKH diagnosis for like 
seven, eight, nine years for lo- loads of my teenhood and my advocacy started anonymously so I came out of the woodwork um, having realised I was getting a bit older and didn't want someone that was younger than me to feel like I was lonely and ashamed and secretive and like stuck in stuck in my stuck in my stick stigma and not being able to shake it <laughs> um just throwing so in the so podcast <laughs> um yeah and then I just started a little anonymous Instagram page and it made me feel so liberated and it like almost excited and I know that sounds weird because I was still really depressed and traumatized from this diagnosis but I just yeah started making content and I I'm always I've always been a really creative person and in and out of projects since I was younger doing arts and crafts and writing and drawing and painting so yeah just content creation that was my start of content being a content creator was through advocacy and then slowly but surely I um I guess came out of the woodwork again as as with my face and and in the public eye and made my account uh, public um and yeah just started advocating for young people and people like me diagnosed with MRKH um and then went into events, uh, sort of coordination and, and set up a specific MRKH website because I realised as much as I enjoyed making Instagram content, I was like full throttle. I just want to make so much stuff that I wanted when I was younger, like anatomy pictures, little art prints, like colouring pages, just all the all the little bits. Um, so I set up Mind over MRKH and then we started doing London meals and then we started doing picnics and then this WhatsApp group grew to about... 10 of us 20 of us and now it's like 80 of us (laughs) Mm, Um, and then yeah and then from from then on it was mrkh like all over and then it just grew into into vava womb and me just going there's so many other things out there where people feel similarly to us and with so many stigmatized experiences and then the rest is history which i don't need to (laughs) go on and on and on but yeah You've become this great social media influencer and the part of that that I am so in awe of actually and really where we're going to go today is the sides of life in different topics in this in this part it's talking about body and and self-love and self-pleasure and we've always shared that and of course we will go into the MRKH road that we've, we met on but I just for our listeners poor LMA I messaged her half an hour ago saying have you got your masturbation super cape on <laughs> and you're like I don't I was just like my life is never dull um, I think I said I haven't had a wank for a couple of weeks but I yes have, yeah a wank, a wank hiatus yeah well I mean it happens it happens we go through quite dry spells can we call them dry spells oh my god um, yeah. I totally forgot to mention by the way as part yeah. of the advocacy history is that one of the first and most incredible amazing massive things I did was go on Ali's film that you produced and created which was the global MRKH film and I was young and anxious and confused so Ali definitely you are someone that brought me into this world of advocacy from all of like it it was definitely a stepping stone of what I was doing and you I think people that I always forget to 
not forget, but want to shine a light on anyone that came before me that came became went public because it was harder back then. There was no one there was no one out there doing it, and you were doing it, and you were kind of one of the only ones doing it. So, and I feel like now it's like we're in a pool of people, which is incredible. But there's the people that started it, and that's definitely you're definitely my person that gave me that confidence to talk about it. So thanks. <laughs> oh, I've got I have got gooseies actually. I'm feeling a bit <laughs> emotional today, so I'll try to keep my shit together. Well, I mean, what a perfect segue into vaginas. Let's just get stuck right in there. Um, so the thing that, L- that LMA and I have really bonded over is the word vagina. And distinctively, because with the MRKH diagnosis, which affects one in 5,000 females, causing the underdevelopment of the uterus, cervix and vaginal canal. And for me, what I always found, there was a massive absence of which where the shame started to breed and my experience in making my vagina handmade was the fact that I didn't really hear people talking about it and not because I believe that we need to clickbait our way through life but for me that's why I fucked up so royally for two decades because I had formed this really bad toxic relationship with my body and in particular around sex relationships intimacy and my physical anatomy of the vagina so obviously you told us a little bit about what led you through to the advocacy in terms of your diagnosis and leading on to the wonderful work you're doing now but in terms of okay let's let's talk about masturbation hmm. why why do you feel um so nat- you know you're so natural and so passionate about education and championing masturbation and sexual pleasure and for us to explore those things, what is it? What is your why behind that? I think when I started doing advocacy, I realised that there's MRKH has so many layers. Like this, it's so complex, as we both know, um, and we're still unraveling them every day. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and for me, the layer of like infertility was one thing, and not having a womb and not being able to carry a child is like one side of it. But that's the side of it I fact even though I found that deeply like heartbreaking and hard growing up I found it easier for that to be the first thing I stepped into talking about because that was the more common infertility was like one in seven couples I think people could relate to it because people related to the fact that I was straight and in a relationship with a man and to have babies usually people would go down the route of having sex and making them so I think for me to talk about fertility as and as well I've got a lot of queer and gay friends so I think for me I kind of felt part of the community of people that were going to have a different path to parenthood and that made me feel at ease really at ease in my particular friendship group to talk about that but with the other side of things and having made like like we both have made our vaginas ourselves and going through vaginal dilation and curating a vaginal canal and having my first orgasm which I've probably not I don't know if I've said it on a podcast before in a hospital bed doing my three night stay with the nurse t- t- showing me how to shove this dilator in my vagina she wasn't there by the way she'd gone I've heard that I have no I have heard that fact around the traps yeah. I'm not quite sure where I've heard it or read it but you did actually experience was it your first orgasm or you orgasmed at the time of making your vagina in hospital so my first in my first orgasm I was doing the dilation but what I would do is bring headphones and listen to music just to get through the half an hour of pushing this dilator inside I think I'd got to like the 
third night in the hospital stay where they teach you how to do it all and because I was just sleeping on my own I was bored out of my mind had music in my ears and I just remember I don't actually remember if I was like understood my clit at that point because like as we both know sex education was lacking back in day but I don't I can't actually remember the ins and outs of whether or not I was like stimulating my clit at the same time but I definitely did it once and then wanted to do it again and was like wow that felt amazing and then when I took the dilators home it was a case of this is so traumatizing and stigmatizing and I would never tell anyone about them and I felt really like weird and icky that I had these tubes that I had to shove in my vagina and the fact that my mum and dad probably knew when I was doing it upstairs just made me feel we've, it's just it's so traumatizing but then it, it it's mixed so awkward, this weird right? shape of pleasure it's so awkward so fucking awkward it needs to be spoken about more how awkward it is there, there's nothing more awkward I think for parents and siblings to have an idea mm-hmm. that whilst they're I've always said they're downstairs watching tv while their teenager child is upstairs making a vagina I mean how do you even how do you even da- break that yeah. silence over dinner? Like it's it's impossible. Upstairs, making their downstairs. <laughs> this is going to be word word magic and vaginas probably for the next hour. <laughs> but yeah, so so you sorry, I jumped about. No, the association. Fine. Yeah, the association for you I'm was icky, and what that's one of the words I always use about stigma. It feels icky. Mm. I use the word dirty. Like it was just felt gross. And did that affect your relationship with sex or did that affect your relationship with sex and your vagina? In like, just going back to the pleasure side of things, I think the experiences I had through pleasure and how it was so intertwined with not having a vagina, well, having a short, very short, very short vagina and then creating it. And then this experience of pleasure becoming part of like a medical world for me it wasn't like jumped into bed and had a great time even though I had had some sexual experiences before that which I'm sure we can talk about later but um which were really hard and guys would be like oh this or a a particular guy when I was like really young 15 16 this isn't working what the fuck is wrong with you that sort of like traumatic vibe um so yeah I think for me the pleasure advocacy came as part of my MRKH thing, I was like, why? So pe- people are talking about this infertility aspect, but everyone is so ashamed of this vagina aspect. And I know that's how you felt when you were talking about MRKH online and this whole clickbait, clickbait of not being able to, yeah. of, of telling your story and then the media taking control of that and saying, people born without vaginas. It made me just think, I really want to be an advocate for the stuff that we should experience and we can experience and we should totally feel empowered to experience. You know how you just had a little bit of a disclosure about your first, like, or when you're in hospital making your vagina, you just happened to brilliantly, pleasurably let yourself enjoy that to an extent by having Mm. the orgasm but I when I before I was diagnosed and I've never shared this I've shared on a podcast which I'm not sure will be out by now and it's in the book that I actually tried to masturbate before I even went down the no period no dilation path like I actually knew I just thought it was like you know the hymen the tight hymen but I was like going hell for leather trying to work out why I couldn't mimic what I had seen on porn Mm. I didn't understand why my finger wasn't going in this hole where I was supposed to have had this you know vaginal thing happening so it is it really is interesting because a lot of people 
will start maybe exploring their bodies a lot early on and so thank you for your disclosure because I've just mm. shared my disclosure see this is why it's so important to talk yeah. pleasure I did the whole tampon shoved a tampon up there and then it got stuck so it was really dry and I was like oh my god I don't know how to get this out so but you're right you're actually right Ali because I think even though that was my first orgasm I definitely had experiences when I was younger than that maybe in like the 12 13 14 when you're learning about the body and and that's the sort of time I would be putting a, things up there and going why is nothing working and I definitely did feel some kind of pleasure maybe you know when you're younger in bed and you kind of touch yourself and then you go well oh, what's that what's going on so I definitely <laughs> felt it before but until I started doing the stretching of the canal that's I think that's the first time I started to really fully like go in and figure out what's going on down there <laughs> in terms of in terms of masturbation are you surprised are you surprised that people still rem- need reminding that it's it's healthy and it's okay like you do a lot on this on vava womb instagram about sex toys and pleasure like what is the what is the stigma about something that is actually quite natural not for everyone culturally also like there's way lots of different diverse experiences but it's still got that dirty aspect or that shame quiet of course it's intimate it's like an intimate act with yourself or with a partner mutual masturbation but why do we still need to keep saying it's okay to talk about something like that it's a good question I do feel like the whole self-pleasure side of things online and in society is becoming quite trendy like lily allen bringing out a sex toy i think it was charlie brooker bringing yeah. out a sex toy it is becoming trendy but i think it's becoming like trendy in the talking about it but even i'm still s- stuck in my own stigma of phys- real in real life talking about it so if my friend's talking about having a wang i'm like oh yeah i've got loads of sex toys uh, but even with chris my partner we don't necessarily talk about when i've had when I've masturbated or if I've masturbated do you know what I mean like it's not it's not like in some relationships and with friendships it might be a completely open book conversation but I'm still I think stuck in my teenage trauma of being quite secretive about that sort of stuff and I know it's weird because I'm online all the time talking about wanking and off for a wank and go and masturbate it's healthy for you um but in real life, I, I still can feel quite embarrassed by it because I know that my MRKH story is a massive part of my masturbation advocacy. So in real life, when I talk about wanking, I still have that little like niggle in the back of my mind. Is someone like thinking about the fact that my vagina is not there? And then you always, I don't know, I overthink it when I speak about it in real life. <laughs> and I think when it's online, you're not seeing, you can't look specific person in the eye I think that's like anything I've been writing about vaginas for 12 years and I don't even mind the headlines anymore because part of me is sort of thinking well that's actually a fact that's Mm. not that's not a misprint that's that is not a myth that is actually the fact of mine so whilst it can be really confronting I've actually now become quite empowered with that that headline and that word and I attribute Mm. I attribute that to you actually because you always do talk about how vagina is not a dirty word yeah quickly back to some of the posts where I'm like go and go and masturbate it's healthy for you the stigma behind that I think still exists because people 
again even though they can speak about it online there's still multiple people thousands of people in this world that maybe have never done it or have never owned a sex toy and even though it's becoming like a trendy thing it's still having that space to do it so if you're in a relationship whether or not you've got space to go and explore your body if you're I don't know someone that's never spoken about sex openly because some people can be like that it's I think the, sh the shame in there shouldn't be shame in masturbation, but people still massively feel ashamed and stigmatised from just having like solo pleasure. Or they're with a partner that says, you don't need to do that. You've got like, you've got me. And that could be like a toxic masculinity. Um, like you, you go down the route of like yep. toxic masculinity and how heterosexual yeah. couples might feel. I'm sorry, I can't vibrate. Yeah. But that's also, I think for some people actually even feel there's a portrayal in there that oh my god I'm not pleasuring my partner they have to go off and do it on their own and yeah society is very polite like society in general across all these topics that we've been talking about on this podcast we're very well there's a lot of conformity happening because institutionally it's not what you do you don't talk openly about private parts and private things but self-love goes way beyond masturbation mm. as well like you've the, the whole body positivity that you do so well and so openly how do you do that how do you you know I've seen some beautiful photos and your boobs and you've got the curves and things like what's that moment you go through when you press post on something like that oh on the pictures um yeah I don't know just I think it just makes me feel really empowered and I think there is a complexity with the term body positivity because I do think that I'm privileged in being white being fairly slim being like I know that we fight beauty standards for all sorts of things but I know that I have got privilege in certain things so I try I try not to class myself as a body positive advocate because I think for me that's kind of owned by the historical movement of like fat positivity black women black people and I kind of just go down the route of I just want to take a picture of myself to feel good and feel empowered by being a person that felt less and my self-esteem when I was younger was so low and I never felt sexy and I always felt like I was more masculine or like and I think MRKH had a massive part to play in my self-esteem as a teenager and feeling ugly or feeling like I'm not pretty enough to be an advocate for something that could be confused with other um, stigmatised experiences or intersex, intersex conditions and I think my pictures that I take make me feel like I'm sort of taking back my I guess power in yeah just just the fact that I feel a bit better about myself now than I used to and I think if you post a picture and you can help someone else or it like the quotes that I put on it can help someone else and I try and make them real I try not to edit like my skin or I try and make sure that I'm not sucking in my stomach and it's like a natural role. Do you, do you think that the stigma of masturbation is different for men and women? I do think that there is a certain level of stigma for men and having a wank, but it's so much more talked about at school and sex education, male masturbation. It almost feels like it was like people were educated more on that this is the movement that you do to oh yeah like masturbate a penis like and that's and that's if it goes this way and this way this, things will come out and we were never taught about I think it's all about the sex education when it comes to the different the different levels of stigma for different genders and different genitals because with a penis I think we all kind of knew how that would work but with a vulva not you weren't taught even the word vulva I think I didn't learn until starting Vava Womb genuinely didn't ever use the word vulva until no. I was like Five years ago. <laughs> no, and I and then, know, people mis yeah. misuse the misuse the words. I just think it's quite interesting what yeah. you said about school education, 
because it's all typically around we learn about these body parts in terms of reproduction a woman has a period to ovulate egg released sperm ejaculates meets the egg they have a baby textbook clothes we've we've learned mm. all we need to learn and I think maybe it's not so much talked about that this is pleasurable because for a woman woman an orgasm doesn't mean she's going to ejaculate to make the baby plant the seed etc etc it's like it's almost I think that could be in there about a woman can be pleasured and she is pleasured for for no reason because if if I you know not being able to have a baby my sex life could be absolutely redundant if if I was just purely thinking it for procreation it's quite it is quite interesting about women claiming their power when it comes to pleasure for sure yeah no Gosh, definitely. that sounded like a right speech <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the fact that like loads of the stats around the orgasm gap are that lesbian cis women lesbians have um 80 percent more or, I can't remember the stats but the way more orgasms than straight couples and then you think about like yeah just in general I think the orgasm gap which is a massive part of where I've sort of like other question was around how my perception of sex has changed and I think back when I was younger it was I just want to please them because I was taught because I was diagnosed with not having the particular function to be able to one give birth and I knew I couldn't do that because I didn't have the womb and then the other function is to get something inside there so in my head the only way I could enjoy sex was having something inside my vagina and then also making sure that that person could enjoy it because their their penis would be in my vagina. So without that, how the fuck was I supposed to have any fun? And I think my perception of sex when I was younger was all around, and I guess this is tied into the orgasm gap, but it was all around the, the man's pleasure. And is he feeling this? Does it feel good for him? Is he okay? Can he feel the like the dead, dead end of my vaginal canal? Can oh, he God, feel yeah. Like with... this is the cold sack. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think my, I was constantly worried about the person I was sleeping with or the person I was having penetrative sex with. But it's, over time, it's become, and obviously being with my boyfriend for eight years and, and previous partner for four years before that, it it has it definitely grew. And I'm talking, even when I was younger, it still was growing into a, I do actually want to feel something from this. And I understood that if I touched my clip while they were inside, that would work. I understood that I could have the same... Um, experience of getting wet as other people with vulvas and vaginas because we have the skeins glands and all these glands that I learned about that I had that made me feel even more empowered by the fact that I did have all the parts that I needed to have orgasms and pleasure and then I think sometimes if I was having sex with someone that didn't care about me I slowly started to realize that that's not okay and actually I want to enjoy this as well so if you're just going to be poking me in and out and not caring about anything else or touching my nipples like I love my nipples being touched like if they don't know that obviously my current partner does having been with them for eight years but like when I went traveling for six months on my own and you'd have sex with someone that you don't know that well or one night stand which obviously happens you just go oh they didn't like do this but obviously you have to learn about each other's bodies to fully have that yeah and learn your own and and what what works (laughs) what doesn't work and I think there's two things in there which is kind of vulnerable honest conversations not you know one is faking orgasms massive Mm. topic that I see you share about and massive topic that I've talked to friends about and I am absolutely like guilty of doing that I've done it before oh yeah like and it's not the Harry Met Sally type thing but it's almost because I'm like yeah I want to make sure that I'm like I'm good to go like 
I really want you to be happy. It's probably not going to work for me, but I don't want you to feel sad about it. I don't want to insult you by not doing it. But some men find that like a betrayal as well. They kind of go, how could you possibly do that for years? Have you done it before? So it's, it is quite, that. there's that. And there's also communicating with your partner confidently, if you can, about what works for you. But you have to know that with you before you can share that, I guess, so openly, sexual openness. I think it's so hard though like this whole the whole even I advocate for it and so much stuff I post sometimes I feel like a bit of a fraud because I know deep down that I feel um in real life like you said earlier about becoming an advocate and like being a pleasure advocate there's so many things that I post that I wish I was in real life like I'll post communicate during sex communicate this and again not talking about my current partner but in the past there has been situations where I've gone I just want him to do this I just want him to do that but it's all in my head and I'm just saying things in my head that clearly he's not going to know and I think there's a lot of blame on men about oh they can't find the clear oh they can't and right. I think that's actually really bad advocacy because not well I've, I've, I've done it in the past and this is actually a, a thing that I've done that's bad is is kind of go on this like feminist mission of saying men can't do this and men can't do that but I think they need to be way more included in the conversation because it's actually like our orgasm is our responsibility and if you're not gonna if you're gonna have sex and not explain to someone that you want to be touched here or this is what feels good or oh can you go slower can you like can we I don't know add some lube like there's so many things that a guy just may not know and actually he's had the same sex, sex education as us so he hasn't had the privilege of they if you're sleeping with a man haven't had the privilege of learning about the clit and the vulva because they probably had a similar situation to you and they yeah. and every person yeah. is different that's got a vulva so what i might like you might not like so they can't they can't win really and i think we need to be more friendly to guys about sexual experiences as long as they're willing to listen if they're not willing to listen they ain't worth it <laughs> i'm so pleased you brought that up because i also feel very much the same and like in terms of this context, but I think across stigma across the board, like one of the things that always irks me a little bit when I see it, possibly in the kind of, not so much in the MRKH community entirely, but I'd like other fertility communities where people go top 10 terrible things that have ever been said to you. And yes, it is quite uncomfortable and it can be quite triggering. I think sometimes the opportunity to use those moments to educate and explain I honestly don't believe everybody goes out of their way to piss you off or to hurt you people said oh you're so lucky to not have periods and I'm like do you know what actually I feel I'm kind of pleased I don't have to bleed every month I'm pleased I don't have to part with money that you know for a medical like function Mm. but I don't like the no periods in terms of what it symbolizes for me or you're so lucky that you don't have kids like jumping on you. I know parenthood's really hard. I completely think it's incredibly difficult to parent. However, I would love the choice to have the kids jumping up. So I think sometimes we can just use these awkward moments mm. to to have like a little bit of a two-way education if people are open for it. The lucky the lucky thing, I did write a I wrote a blog about that and I think I compared it to me saying to someone with endometriosis you're so lucky you've got a womb and it's like no they don't feel like like you can't determine what someone feels lucky about we can feel like I do feel lucky now that I don't have periods I'll be totally honest I do feel like 
having got like friends that have them and they really suffer and they're bleeding every month and they're having so many horrible experiences with them like, I know that that part of it is is something that I can for myself define as lucky but you can't tell someone else that they should feel lucky because that's like saying to someone you should feel happy you've got this and it's like fuck off I hate when people give us give people like gratitude expectations like you should feel grateful for that it's like no your gratitude is your thing for yourself to define yeah sometimes (laughs) I I do understand mindfulness I do understand the Mm. the process of gratitude but I think also sometimes we are just a little bit allowed to sit in the shit before we go off and do our namaste with gratitude so I thought we could do like this quick fire round of let's just spell some sex and pleasure myths myth number one all vaginas look the same I've never seen a vagina because it's inside (laughs) (laughs) all all vulvas look the same (laughs) Emily Hensley I thought that was a trick question (laughs) sure it was sure it was (laughs) well uh that is false because all vulvas are different like I used to want labiaplasty when I was younger because mine came out slightly past the labia majora and also I think the word the words stigmatize the vulva like labia majora labia minora it makes you think the minora has to be smaller because it's like supposed to be mini and I think they need to rename it to just flap one and flap two or something I don't know Oh my gosh, we're moving on to plane parts. We've gone from roads to plane parts. The flats are coming down. Oh, jeez. So, oh, this is gold. Okay, anyway, they're, all, they're all different. And I had a vulva cast once and it was the most liberating experience ever. But I'm still yes. learning. My, yeah, anyway, I'd like to try that. Maybe that's our next day out together. <laughs> I don't know. Gosh, what a leap. Myth or fact number two. Women should be able to orgasm with penetration alone. Um, false. Well, they, I mean, some people can, because if, like, your clitoris is internal, and I think that the the big thing is that the majority of people with vulvas and women do orgasm mostly from clitoral pleasure, but if you're being penetrated and they're stimulating the clit at the same time, because it's all, you can also reach it internally, then, you, you, yeah, we, sh- we, we should be able to, but it all depends on... The clit stimulation for me. I remember remember the day that you discovered that the clit has 10,000 nerve endings that has increased by 50% that we previously thought, right? 5,000, 8,000? Yeah, I think it was 8,000 before, yeah. It was a big day for you, LMA. I was well excited about that. 10,000. It does make me think, though, like... I don't know. I do do wonder about the research into it because there's someone that goes on about the fact that it doesn't have that many... um, Anyway, I don't I'm going on. That's another project. <laughs> Myth or fact number three. Masturbation is a form of betrayal. False. False. It's wonderful. Unless you're Great. having a unless you're having a dumped me wank. <laughs> you dumped me wank. Like you know, maybe there's people that do use it as betrayal, like fuck you, I don't need you. This is my betrayal wank. There's all sorts of wanks. My friend Haas taught me about something called a bully, bully wank. What's a bully wank? And they said something like, oh, I need to figure out what they said, but it was something like you just want to, like, almost 
I don't know. I actually can't remember, but it's called a bully wank. So maybe look into okay. it. <laughs> we'll Google that. Maybe I'll do that for Something the show like notes. Feel a bit angry and being like "fuck you," and then just and then having a bit of a rough wank. But anyway, that was too much, a bit random. Beat up your, I'm going to beat up my Volvo. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. That's what I said. It was something like yeah. <laughs> Mental fact number four: faking orgasms is totally okay. Right. I'm actually in the middle with this one because one, if you feel like you want to fake and it actually increases your chance of a real orgasm because sometimes making a load of noise, even though it's not noise from real pleasure, can just be a psychological excitement thing. Um, and again, I did write a blog about this on, on the site, but we shouldn't fake it to please the other person. But if you there's something around if someone feels the need to for another reason like okay they it comes to it's the end of the like the other person's orgasmed or climaxed and come and you actually haven't but you want to feel like excited towards the end you might just make some noise and it depends on what faking the orgasm is like is for you and how to define that because for me sometimes making noise even though i'm not feeling much can just help me psychologically get in the mood at, towards the end i'm like ah and i'm not like method noise, acting but, so there's the, yeah there's yeah, there's like a there's a balance to stop faking orgasms and mass is a really good statement to say you should be communicating and all that sort of stuff. But it's 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 definitely easier said than done because when you're actually in a sexual experience, making loads of noise and even though it might not be real, it's still real because you're doing it. But it, it all depends on the reasons behind it. So there is, it, I think it's a little bit more complex than some of my posts that just say stop faking orgasms. I think there's layers to reasons or if you want to like if you're having a one night stand and you want to just get it over and done with and actually just want to get out of the situation sometimes that's just it, people can do it as a safety an exit thing. strategy anyway it's massive we shouldn't really because we need to communicate and all those things well, but if you decide to, to stop the faking in a relationship where you've just been faking for four years that that is going to be a transition and i think that's where the communication isn't completely necessary final fact myth mm. or fact women don't masturbate false false we do and apparently oh. there's 20,000 different types of masturbation and Ella is going to go and write an amazing book about it and we're going to read it and learn about <laughs> bully, bully masturbation, bully wank. Here at the Stigma Shakers podcast, our aim is to shake up and blend unique smoothies for our listeners to digest around the topics of stigma and taboos. Now with that metaphor in mind, what goodness or ingredient would you put in your social stigma smoothie? Um, I know this sounds a bit cringe, but comfort, because I feel like a lot of the stuff that I do and that is around pleasure and sex and fertility and talking openly and being online and speaking to people is all about whether you feel comfortable and that can like entwine, and sorry, that's, that's a million things, but that can entwine consent and peer support and like going to events having a sex toy having sex like comfort is just such a big thing in in life so yeah i want a bit of i want a comfort a comfort cherry on the top of my smoothie <laughs> is, that what you're, is that what it's called can can we name a your com- smoothie a comfort cherries oh no i don't really like cherries that much a, oh i don't know what not, oh i don't know a com- mango comfort <laughs> mango comfort and our final yes. question before we wrap up. If 
Your purpose was to break the news headlines tonight about the stigma of masturbation. What would the headline be? Um, Clipbait. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Clipbait. Clip article for clip but I don't know something like that because I feel like it's just it, we just need to take the piss out of how the media well, and meta and the, the powers that be try and hide us Someone and actually they want to control decisions. us and they want to control our stories yeah like people with their mark age going to the media and talking about stuff they want to they want to control the headline to make it into clickbait so yeah clit bait <laughs> I was once, yeah, I was once told, I think I won't say who it was, but I was once told that my story wasn't traumatic enough. I was like, Ran, how, many, how, many, how many other ways would you like me to talk about the fact that as a child, I had to make a vagina? Like, that's pretty traumatic. LMA, how can people find you? Across about five million Instagram pages. <laughs> I've got too many. I'll just give you my Vava Womb ones. It's easier. At Vavawoom underscore. Thank you so much, Anime. And this and is Vavawoom.com. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say there's a website. No, there's a website, Vavawoom.com. But yeah. That's where people can find you. And listeners, please do take some time to go and visit Vava Womb and learn about LMA's incredible work. She is so uplifting, inspiring, and she really is the ultimate stigma shaker in this space. So, LMA, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm so excited. Uh, thanks for having me. This is amazing. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs>